Hello and welcome to Into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast. My name is Brendan Bigley. My name is Stephen Hilger. We're recording this. Ooh, that felt really good. Sorry, I usually go, I'm Stephen Hilger, and, and matching your meter there. Oh, yeah. That really, fi- it took us five years, but we finally got it. Finally, you know? we're professionals. No longer an indie amateur podcast. We have ascended <laughs> to professionalism. Book us to host your League of Legends World Championship <laughs> I will learn what happens in that game for that slick paycheck. Uh, anyway, we're, we're recording this uh, on a wonderful fall day in New York City. It is the weekend of New York Comic Con, which is why I'm a little bit low key. My voice is uh, almost shot. I'm like almost there. I anticipate my voice will be gone by the end of this episode. So stay tuned for that. It's going to be great. I now owe you two episodes where I'm really tired. I feel like you've, <laughs> you've suffered disproportionately from me being like properly caffeinated and well rested when you're coming from like a career or or leisurely related journey this no this this is this is good this is good showmanship you got it you got to have you know the the foil right the bowl to your matador absolutely absolutely. no one wants to see a tired bowl yeah nobody nobody just wants to see two bowls or two matadors If I saw a sketch show where someone came out as a matador and the music was playing and they were doing the thing and then another and they one opened the gate up, and a matador and ran out. Yeah, and they both just waited around. Just waving the flags at each other. <laughs> that, uh, that really got me. And then the rodeo clowns come out, lights out. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, oh point being, uh, I, I've been super, super, super busy like all week with New York's comic book convention 2023. And uh, I've only played one game this week. And you have done your due diligence and came with a bunch of games yes uh, and i'm excited to hear about all of them so let's I have a bunch of games let's talk games for once let's talk games i can't get the image of two matadors waving the flags at each other. <laughs> it's really good <laughs> speaking of of uh of waiting i have continued an update from last week i have continued my final fantasy 14 journey for those who don't know i am at a point in final fantasy 14 where i have finished sort of a realm reborn and basically ff14 as a reminder is divided into several different big campaigns you can almost consider each campaign of final fantasy 14 its own final fantasy game both like in length and in content yeah how long would you say realm reborn was for you all told honestly probably like 60 to 70 hours so wild yeah it's hard to gauge because i did other stuff too so Mm, like mm. if you were to just sort of mainline just the main quests you could probably do it in like 30 to 40 yeah i would guess but But that's also like most kind of more modern final fantasy games anyway yeah yeah exactly like right now i have 90 hours like in the game since we started in 2020 and many i mean i zoe bahamut is busy okay she has three (laughs) jobs not just like like she she is a cook, a seamstress, and a carpenter. Oh yeah. And one of my favorite things about Final Fantasy fourteen is that like so one really nice thing this quality of life is that if you want to change your class, you can do it with the same character. Zoe is a started as an archer, and then some classes once you hit level thirty will like turn into another class, or you can choose like what they evolve into. So archers become bards and I, I, I'm very happy to be a bard, but I have been thinking about like, well, like I'm now kind of getting a sense of like what the role of bard is in a party and being damaged means that I wait a little bit longer for like a duty finder or like a dungeon because yeah. like we're just waiting for a tank or a healer. Yeah. So I've been thinking about like, would it be fun to learn like a healer class or a tank class? 
And how you do so is basically you can go to any of those guilds. So like in all the big towns, like in Gridania, there's like the Lancers Guild, there's the Archers Guild, Ulda has, you know, each city has their own guild. You can go to like the front desk person at any of those guilds and be like, I'm interested in this. Like I want to become this. And then you get like the item that makes you that class and you just switch to it. Right. So like in my character sheet, I have like gear set for like uh, cook seamstress and carpenter and bard it's amazing it's like, it's like, <laughs> and i've spent like i love the fact that all of those like actual jobs have their own stories too like i really like the sort of kitchen nightmares like cook critic cook quest line yeah and it also really does flesh out the world i mean they're they're light like more lighthearted and they're kind of silly but like Seeing what life as a cook is like in the pirate city of Limsa Lamensa makes the world richer, totally. you know, yes. and it, it makes the the main plot feel actually important. Like when you see these people in charge, like want to protect this place, it feels like a place you've lived in and invested in. Um, that's something that we say about like uh, Dragon Quest Eleven, where, you know, the first act of that game is really just endearing you to that setting. So then when the plot actually like kicks in and it becomes higher stakes, you're really invested because you have kind of gotten a world tour of that spot you know what just occurred to me is that this this format of jobs that you can have in this game is so weirdly similar to that of fantasy life yeah and, it, and very you, much so if yes. you wanted to you could pay 15 dollars a month to play the most high res most intense version <laughs> of fantasy life not available on the Nintendo 3DS if you wanted to and just not engage at all with the main story until you've maxed out every single job. And honestly, that sounds like a great ass video game. I wonder if anybody out there has done that. I mean, but that's the thing with FF14, all the non-combat jobs have like their own end game. And I'm looking at like I get different abilities at like level 50 and stuff. It's wild. Like it's it's uh it's really interesting. And they also all serve a very clear purpose. Like food can boost the amount of experience you gain kind of give you temporary buffs oh hello hello uh (laughs) uh, (laughs) thank you for responding to my rhetorical hello it's just muscle at this point you know it's gotta i just gotta compliment the bit um but anyway like i i just love part of my playtime is is lengthened by those types of quests yeah because I, I just think they're like even though a realm reborn is something you technically have to muscle through i do think you'll kind of dread it if you just do that because mm-hmm. there's all the other stuff i think is equally valid and part of the experience and will continue to be part of the experience in the other expansions you yeah. know yeah so i'm in this kind of no man's land i'm in what many consider to be like the worst part of final fantasy 14 a realm reborn is basically a story that like begins with very traditional like oh you're new to a town like you want to be an adventurer huh go out and prove yourself and then you slowly do prove yourself and then you kind of become relied on more by the powers that be. It begins with like, you either start in uh, Gridania, which is where you and I started, this like forest village, or you start in Ulda, which is this big, that feels like the main kind of big Baldur's Gate city yeah. of the world, or Limsa Lamensa, which is this pirate uh, harbor town. Just an amazing name. It, it's, it, it sounds like a joke, but it's perfect. And what I love too is like all of them feel so distinct and they also all have like, they're all very clearly run very differently. 
you know, I feel like Gridania has almost like a Star Wars feel where like mm. there's this princess in charge and, you know, it's all very like mystical and magical. Yeah. Kind of feels like Endor. Yeah. Naboo meets Endor. Yeah. Yeah. Ulda is like just so visibly corrupt. Like it's just <laughs> like there's this like council of people that have like bought a seat in the room and they're like, you know, all like. It feels it, like the most bit, direct inspiration of Final Fantasy XII. Yes, on, yes, on the franchise or, or, or cool vice though. versa. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And well, it kind of goes full circle because a lot of the development team of Final Fantasy XII was playing a lot of Eleven at the time. Wow. And then that kind of informed Twelve, and I, Twelve feels like the single player MMO of of the series. Yeah. Even the way battle looks and plays feels kind of like fourteen. Very similar. Yeah. But uh, and then Limsa Lamensa is this is this pirate town, which is just like so that's probably my favorite. I, I liked starting in Gridania. It felt very like Zelda E to start in the forest. Totally. All the characters are really great there, too. But the, the thing I'm always surprised by is how big those places are. Like Limsa yes. Lamensa specifically, every time I'm there, I just can't believe like whenever I pick up a quest, I have to go talk to somebody. I'm like, I have to walk like eight miles to talk to this person. Yeah. I have to climb like 14 flights of stairs. And that's what's so empowering about being where I am in the game is like eventually you get a company chocobo like whatever like company you join yeah and i can fly on it i've never seen a chocobo fly but i can just like fly over all that stuff and just go to where i need oh, to be wow. it's amazing but uh I, I think the fact that you and i are like recalling places we like and like governments we believe in in the world <laughs> kind of uh -huh. shows like how powerful of a setting it is like, even in a realm reborn which like by all means is sort of a formulaic story i think it has like the thing about it is you see it getting better and i think it, it kind of starts to form itself when you meet the scions which are sort of like the group of heroes that you belong to that are sort of like their own kind of independent body that like helps out this fractured kingdom yeah so like Realm Reborn is like, I think it's like a hundred quests. It's like full last Final Fantasy game. It ends like Star Wars, just straight up. <laughs> uh, and it, and it's like, by the end of it, that was like a really solid thing. And the irony too is that like, now it's considered the thing you have to kind of muscle through. But like when it came out, it kind of obliterated all other MMO stories. Yeah. You know, like it, it very much sold the idea that like this is going to be a Final Fantasy game. It's not just like a Final Fantasy MMO. This is another full ass Final Fantasy journey. And so that's great. I think A Realm Reborn is like very solid. The problem is there's a whole post game that they actually mercifully shortened in one of the recent patches. I think it was in Shadowbringer. Like last year or something, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's basically like a second campaign after Realm Reborn that like then sets up Heaven's Word, which is the second big expansion. And that's that's the campaign where I think the game kind of becomes the game people talk about now. And then it really only gets better from there. But the problem is there's like so it used to be a hundred it used to be a hundred quests between a realm reborn and heaven's word. And now it's 80. <laughs> <laughs> so it's still a lot and the thing is like almost none of them are combat like almost all of them are talking to Alphanod and him being like mayhap we should go to Ulda and like talk to the mayor there and then you go to Ulda and you talk to someone there and then you go back to your hideout and then someone gives you boots quest complete and like that is at least half of the quests and it's really tedious and if I didn't know what was on the other side of it I would not be playing it mm. that being said I, I am now halfway through I'm like I'm very close to finishing it. It has grown on me. Like A Realm Reborn, you see it getting better. And I think conceptually, 
there's something really interesting about giving a story beat to the in-between like a lot of the story in this sort of post realm reborn it's it's referred to as like the seventh astral era and the the realm reborn is the umbral era so it's like this kind of in-between quest line the fact that you technically save the day but there's still like more work to be done before Mm -hmm. the next kind of leg of the adventure you could call it filler but i do think like there are beats of it where i'm like this is actually really fascinating where like yeah it sounds like it's resetting the stakes right and almost putting you back where we were when we started the game in a way exactly like, okay, yeah because yeah. if, if you're thinking about you know uh, maybe bullshit maybe not but the the like 12 steps of the hero's journey the first step is you know just being used to the place that you're in right which is the thing that we're always praising when we talk about things like this and dragon quest 11 but y- if they're gonna bump up the stakes again after saving the day you need to have that moment of like i just get to chill in this world that I saved and experience what it's like to have been the hero for a bit, which is honestly a piece of, of most stories that you don't get to see, right? Like, you know, for the stories that are following the hero's journey, even to some degree at all, you save the day or the hero saves the day. And then like, that's it for the story. You know, you get the like fun campfire Ewok scene on Endor where you get to see the ghost of Hayden Christensen. And then like, that's kind of it. (laughs) But it's, it's cool. I think it's, I think it's cool specifically from like, a video game standpoint that they're not just like five years later bad guys back. yeah you know no, and it, it's also like uniquely suitable to an mmo structure yeah that, like this is a world that continues to be alive and i think even though it's a lot of like going back and forth the fact that i have to go back to these places and people are like oh my god it's zoe bahamut like i'm like pumped to meet you i'm like a huge fan yeah and there was even a point where um so like one of the early beats of the story is like moving the scions hideout to a new place which yes is in a bar called seventh heaven coincidence oh love that there was a guy who is like teaching kids how to be adventurers and all the kids are like huge fans of your character Mm. but they go up to you and they ask you questions like why'd you become an adventurer like what is it like and you can actually choose what to say which is fun yeah and then their teacher challenges you to a duel to kind of like put on a show for the kids but the whole town shows up (laughs) and like you just destroy this guy. I kind of felt bad because like he's like, you know, it's framed as a duty, which is like the fights against like the summons. Right. But he's just like a total joke. And he's so outmatched that his friend joins in at one point. <laughs> and after this fight, Alphanod, who's like, by all means, sort of like the de facto protagonist, but is like sort of he's sort of like the voice to the player character mm-hmm. where he is this kind of like politician i keep expecting him to be evil and he's not which is like (laughs) kind of thrilling but he's basically like he watches this like you know dude get wrecked by you and everyone like applaud and then even he gets up and is like a good sport about it and alphanad is like you know I'll, i'll be honest like i didn't think it was worth like intervening and helping out this kingdom like it just seemed like everyone only cared about themselves i was like keen to let this place like be invaded by the empire and just like kind of fall you know because like why save this place when it doesn't want to save itself but that guy let you kick his ass so bad in public <laughs> that now i Pretty feel much. like selflessness like, is real yeah he's like the <laughs> fact that this dude got up after being humiliated like kind of gives me all i need to know wow. it was like a really like sweet moment that actually does sound great and uh 
there are just beats like that that keep me going. And there's also, they are now introducing like the people from the setting of Heavensward, where like, you know, basically like the general mood of this story is like trying to find a new hideout for the science and trying to see if we could actually unify the world after saving it. Mm. But everyone is still caught up in their own machinations. And it's like kind of disheartening where everyone's like, this should have been the moment to like get world peace like all of us fought together against the empire how are we how are we regressing Mm. you know yeah but like there's also the looming threat of the empire coming back there's also this bubbling threat of it's been introduced that like essentially if i'm understanding correctly gods can exist if enough people believe in them and you have enough aether crystals yeah so essentially like a bunch of the summons are just popping up across the map because like different tribes or groups of heretics are like worshiping them again and they're like evil versions of themselves rocks it's really cool right and then also there's this kingdom in ishgard where the aura are from that like alphanod is trying to get to like join this new alliance he's making Hmm. and they're very hesitant to because they're like historically a neutral party and he's like all this stuff that's bubbling up will affect you too like why are you being so shitty about this and i think like even though i'm not in heavensward yet they're doing a great job setting up what will be that story you know like i'm already kind of invested in like okay like we got to go on like god patrol and also (laughs) like teach this kingdom that neutrality sucks like how do we how do we go about this? Um, and also the fact that like my character is an all raw. I don't expect the game to like comment on that, but I do think it's like cool for for Zoe's journey to like kind of be this wanderer, not seeing many people like her, and then meeting like her kingdom and seeing mm-hmm. where they're at. Like just for my own internal storytelling, I'm excited to fill that in. And I also I I might switch my class. Like I love the look of bards, but I feel like bard is is. Uh, mechanically not maybe my play style i just want to see what the other play styles feel like before i settle on it so i was thinking red mage might be next for the next expansion cool and that has very similar fashion to bard so i feel like it's a very natural step for my ff14 career what uh in terms of the triangle what where, where does that bring you is or is that still uh dps i guess it would still be dps but it red mages can do everything they can also heal Mm. so and bards are kind of like that too because bards are technically dps but they can play songs that buff the party right and they also notably do a lot of damage over time so like a lot of playing a bard is knowing when to like do what song yeah so i think red mage might give me a taste of like a little bit more magic and healing and then i'll see like okay do i want to try tank next or do i want to just keep baking in limbs of the minsa (laughs) you know yeah so it's like i i kind of feel it's uh it's definitely like something i feel less obligated to play and it's becoming something that i like returning to so i'm hopeful that i will finally get to heaven's word and i can actually talk about that like in the near future can um, i tell you my, w- w- my wish of all wishes yes. for this game i think that the thing the thing that i want more than anything and honestly i feel pretty optimistic that it will happen so uh mark your calendars folks but i feel like the thing that i i want more than anything is for this game to be on the switch like i oh I, yeah i just think having this game in a handheld that is not the steam deck would be great for me like i like playing it on the steam deck but the steam deck is like a pretty bulky thing that requires being charged a lot especially to run games like this that are like constantly connected to the internet and there's just like a lot going on um it like it drains the battery 
you know, pretty significantly while I'm playing it. So it, it hasn't really slipped into the like, I just play it like while something's on the TV kind of space that I want it to. And I'm wondering if with the new Switch coming out, if everything we're hearing about it being closer to like the PlayStation 4 Pro Xbox One S kind of level of graphics, if that's a possibility. And I'm sure Square Enix would want that, right? Like, oh, yeah. I'm sure the Switch 2, for everything we're hearing about it, it sounds like Nintendo is not going to make the most classic mistake that they've made many times over and make the new system just so weird that people don't understand that it's different, <laughs> you know? Yeah, um, yeah. And I I, ha- I hope, I guess, that they, they play their cards right this time. And if that's the case, and it does sell gangbusters, it would make a lot of sense to put, you know, the critically acclaimed MMO with the free trial up to level 30 or whatever, <laughs> Final Fantasy yeah. 14 on there. That's a great point. And there's also already crossplay. So like that would be exactly. Yeah, that'd be amazing. I would love that. Yeah, I I really like that. That'd be that'd be fantastic for me because there's nothing I want more than to catch up to this stuff. Like I, you know, I I brought back Johnny anime. He's hanging out. Uh, Yes, he 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 always has to be DPS. That's the thing about Johnny anime. He looks (laughs) so cool. He's like such a suave dude. He looks amazing. Yeah. Yeah, And I think he has to have a lance at all times or else. I, I don't know. I think I think that's like that's part of him in a way. That's the thing. It's like this game and Baldur's Gate 3 are the two RPGs that come to mind where I'm like the most endeared to my character. Yeah. You know, like Baldur's Gate 3, I think, gives you like a lot more vocabulary for who you are, yeah. like literally. But FF14, almost kind of like Skyrim, giving you that like actual space to like fill in the gaps. Like mm. I... I love my character and I kind of know who she is, even though I have no control over what she says. <laughs> it's almost funny that there are silent protagonists because there are so many moments where Zoe Bahamut will run into a scene and be like, oh, blah, blah, blah. like just like her mouth like moves yes. and she's doing oh, I love hand those. gestures. And I'm like, just give her a voice. She's trying her best. <laughs> it reminds me almost of, of a cross code, which was almost like a commentary on yeah. the silent protagonist where Leia couldn't speak, but was so like facially emotive and like was learning words over the course of the game yeah it's awesome it's, it's it's also funny like i i love my character and when people are like damn you're so cool i believe it and then the minute i'm out of the cutscene, i see like a cat girl sitting on a throne <laughs> on top of a giant beast just like casually walking <laughs> by the big crystal or like you know an elf dude on a dragon made of fire like fly away and i'm like yeah in my fucking honda Who civic chocobo you know yeah. like yeah i'm also the hero of like <laughs> Um, I also pay for this monthly. <laughs> so yeah, I just wanted to give that update. I, I canceled Netflix for this. Yeah. I, can't, I canceled Netflix for this. Bake Off is happening now, baby. I canceled it for this. But yeah, it's... How it's, about that new season of Bake Off, though? It's honestly off to an incredible start. I think uh, I really love the new host. I think she's like yeah. a, a immediate like natural fit have you seen that interview she did with harrison ford and ryan gosling for blade runner 2049 she she went viral like years ago when they were doing the press tour for that where she just like dunked on them relentlessly the whole time (laughs) and it's like the hardest i've ever seen harrison ford laugh in real life it's so good just i i'm gonna write I this to down i'm gonna put this in the show notes uh it's really funny it's a it's a great it's a great interview it's great yeah no but it's it's off to a really good start i i think last season was like good but forgettable the season before that was an all-timer but i just think like i i i think they uh took a lot of feedback for this season so i think it's off to a good start can i deviate in like a big way just while we're talking Please. about stuff on yes. netflix i just i just want to shout out this show that i watched like between the past couple weeks there's there's this uh korean game show that that netflix released called the devil's plan it's like a spiritual sequel to a show that used to be somewhere else that wasn't netflix called the genius but uh this show the devil's plan the whole idea is they just cast like 
the smartest people they could find in Korea. Just like this person has a thousand patents to her name. This person is a literal rocket scientist. This is a person who runs a YouTube channel that teaches science to people and math. This is a person like just all of these people who are like so accomplished. Like here's an actor who also like went to MIT. Like here's all of these really smart people. And they keep them in this set, this like closed set for a week. And they just continually hit them with these unbelievably complex challenges like you, they they will walk into a room every, so the, the way the game works is every day there's a uh, challenge where they all have to compete against each other to see who can win and whoever loses goes to prison uh and <laughs> and in the evening they have to do another challenge where everyone who's left over and not in prison has to has to work together and if they work together at the end of the day and they they complete their challenge it increases the amount of money they all win which creates this really interesting back and forth because there's a, this like macro game that you're playing where you want to be the person to win the devil's plan you need to be sending the right people to prison you know so like the weakest link goes to prison so they don't fuck you up when you're doing the evening game where you're all competing together to try and increase the prize pot like there's just a really interesting like macro and micro thing happening where each individual game has a lot of strategy but you can see people playing the larger scale game as well because all these people are way smarter than me at least Uh, it's just like really fun to watch like geniuses do shit Um, yeah but what I love about this show so much is every episode is like an hour to an hour and a half and like 20 to 25 minutes of each episode is just everyone lined up in the room watching the big screen where they explain the rules of whatever the challenge is going to be for that day because it's like okay today we're playing mafia everyone's played mafia but what if the rules of mafia took 45 minutes to explain to you (laughs) and what if it was way more difficult and what if there are all these different rooms with different phones where you had to like pick up and say things what if you had to like point in certain ways depending on who is what role like just so many rules and you just watch all of these people being like yes i understand and then they just play the game um it rocks it's so good the season is over so you could just binge the whole thing and you probably will if you get into it my one thing that i'll say about the devil's plan is if you're watching the show and you're watching them explain the rules and you're like i don't get this at all just bear with it you will understand the the game while they're playing it and on top of that you will be like jumping out of your seat and yelling out loud which is actually what i did i was like yelling a lot while watching the show just watching people like play poker and stuff it's uh it's incredible it's a great it sounds like a blast yeah it does make me kind of depressed though that in the u.s we get are you smarter than a fifth grader as like (laughs) our version of that you know yeah like (laughs) that's the kind of shows you all you need to see uh the devil's plan rocks anyway that's that's our (laughs) ad for netflix you want to move on (laughs) uh yeah i actually just wanted to say real quick uh before we venture into halloween territory last week we talked a lot about red dead redemption and sort of the uh the re-release of it at at a, a 50 or 60 dollars i just wanted to say that it's been brought to my attention that it actually is available on the xbox store at the original price and it's available on the ps3 if you still have one <laughs> at the original price i i think the conversation we had i think still applies to like the state of game preservation and you know i just wanted to say that in case you have a way of playing it there that is a little bit less expensive also uh please be at peace i will one day play dead space too. Uh, so I just wanted to say that I, I have downloaded it and I'll either bring that up next week or one day in the future, but I'm excited to play it. Cause it sounds like from what I've learned since recording last, the dead space remake is kind of like the best of one and two put together. Oh, so I'm excited to see like how they operate separately. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to think if, uh, well, no, we have, we have another game before Halloween. Okay. Let's take a break. Oh, that's right. We we'll, have another game. Let's take a break. We'll come back. We'll talk about your other game. And then uh, Sounds good. And then Halloween. And then Halloween. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
Brendan, we're back. Hello. I'm playing a game that I've wanted to for for years now, weirdly enough. Uh, it's a game called Solar Ash, developed by Heart Machine, that came out like at the very end of 2021. Yeah. Which actually kind of lends credence to what we've been saying about how like holiday season Q4 is almost now like a unideal time to release your game because yes. if, it, if it comes out too late, it's not in that discussion. And then it almost becomes like lost a little bit. Yeah. Um, just sad. like I feel like Chained Echoes kind of dodged that fate just by being like so wild. <laughs> like, yeah. It's, it's just, like, wait a minute. Like, it's a very good does video this game. Count? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but this game, Solar Ash, came out like very end of 2021. Uh, Heart Machine previously made uh, Hyper Light Drifter, which was like a big hit. And I was excited for this game because it just looked so cool. Like it, the art style is like very soft 3D meets Mobius, the sci fi artist. Yeah. And it looked very Gravity Rush esque. Yeah. I remember when they announced this game. I think, I think I remember when they announced this game. You and I had done like either an E3 or like a Nintendo Director. Like, like whatever event yeah. they announced it in, we, we did a recap of it. And I think what we said about it was it looks like what Sonic in 3D should be. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So I finally downloaded it and I, and it kind of came out to like lukewarm reviews. Like it, it didn't seem to be quite as big of a hit as, as Hyper Light Drifter. Yeah, it was mixed. There were some people that were like really stoked on it, I remember. And then yeah. some people that were like, I, you know, didn't quite hit the highs I wanted it to. And yeah. Yeah. So it kind of felt like the perfect Into the Aether game. I'm like, this is like... Yeah. This the stage is set for for the Aether here. I'm like a few hours in and I'm really enjoying it. I do share a lot of the critiques that are kind of common with the game, but I definitely wanted to bring it up because I think more people should check it out. So the way it plays, it just it feels really cool. Like I think they really nailed the central feeling of movement, um, which is impressive because I don't know what the developer's background in 3D is, but I'm just going off of the games they made yeah. and considering this the jump to 3D. Um, I think in many ways it kind of feels like what if Hyper Light Drifter but in 3D, mm -hmm. which... I think is really hard to pull off because Hyper Light Drifter is like so tightly designed. Yeah. You know, also interesting considering Hyper Light Breaker is in the works and I think is coming out like relatively soon, which yeah. I, think, I think like literally is that as well. Is that in 3D? Yeah. So this is um the way it kind of controls is you run around as a uh, character named Ray who is part of this group that can essentially like destroy black holes. So like whenever a black hole is about to suck up a planet, as far as I can understand, the plot is a little bit confusing. It's a weird mix. And this is maybe one of the critiques I would share is like, I think, I think, I would enjoy the narrative a little bit more. Like, I think like all the ideas are really cool and I, I enjoy the dialogue, but I feel like the game is simultaneously wanting to sort of like tell a story via the environment and via like sort of cryptic NPC interaction, kind of like Dark Souls. Mm. But there's also like a lot of dialogue and a lot of like direct kind of like uh, a lot of like techno babble and, and name, which I which I honestly really enjoy. Yeah, like I don't I'm not using that term in a, in a negative sense, but it's like you're getting a lot of terminology and a lot of ideas. And I kind of wish the game let the visuals speak more for it. That's something that I liked a lot about Hyper Light Drifter is like it was a very abstract story. Yeah, like a lot of it was just told kind of through like visuals and emotion. Yeah, it's like a lot of inference. 
And this game, I just think it, it kind of feels like it's trying to do both, which is why I feel a little bit like on and off with it. But I am invested in what's happening. And I do, I really like the uh, voice actor who plays the main character. And I do like her kind of banter and her attitude. Like she has sort of like, there's not an indifference, but she's like very confident in her ability to do the job. Mm. And uh, you can talk to this like AI assistant that you like kind of uh, activate on a map and you can like, then, then it becomes very Mass Effect where you can be like, tell me more about black holes like there's like so many like just like <laughs> fill in the lore so a youtuber doesn't have to like questions mm, um yeah. and uh like that's cool but again it feels almost at odds with like other moments of the game where it is more kind of open like there's a scene where after defeating the first boss this isn't really a spoiler it's very early on this kind of weird giant figure that looks like a humanoid but like with sort of like dismembered limbs mm. but they're all kind of hanging like it's it's hard to describe but she like she doesn't have shoulders but she has arms kind of thing yeah and she's like has this big like sewing needle through her chest and she's holding the main character and like there's an intensity to that visual alone just like seeing this kind of like injured deity holding our character mm -hmm. but then the dialogue is like you are nothing to me and it's just like i don't know like something like it, it doesn't ruin it but i'm just like i kind of wish i just got the visual you know like in that scene specifically yeah because I, I i we're not given any information as to what's happening so kind of why not let that moment speak for itself i'm not trying to rewrite the game i just i i think it's less that i think the writing is really good and the visuals are really good and i think sometimes they don't know when to let one speak for the other if mm -hmm. that makes sense mm -hmm. yeah but overall like i think it's a really intriguing world and it's a really intriguing problem to like be this team that defeats black holes by almost kind of becoming one like they have to sort of change like their you know genetic makeup to not just be crushed in this atmosphere and so the way it plays like you're in this kind of it almost reminds me a little bit of uh bowser's fury where like there are kind of areas in this open 3d level that are all kind of their own little like platforming challenges but you can like kind of go to them in any order you want and the floor in a lot of the worlds is this like big like cloudy pink fluff and just like skating around in that feels amazing. Like mm. just like, yeah. like just running and using your like rocket boost to go through that. It reminds me of um, Ratchet and Clank when you have the hover boots yes. ripped apart. Like it feels a lot like that. And uh, you get some cool abilities. With the, I would say the central mechanic is called time slip where you can freeze time and then like either attack an enemy or like you'll see an icon that lets you almost like horn it, like have this cosmic thread that you like grappling hook to something. And all of that's really cool. I think where the game kind of loses me is I feel like I don't fully understand or feel confident in like what the central mechanic is. Like movement feels really good. I like how attacking feels. I like the time slip mechanic. I almost wish they just fully went gravity rush and were like, fuck it. You can now change gravity to given your character's power. It would make perfect sense. Yeah. Right. You know, um, we don't need to do that. That's very just a Steven thing. Uh, <laughs> but I still don't fully feel like I know like so like the trials you're given and areas of the map there's like these sort of areas that are covered in this goo and there are these needles that you like can attack and then another one will form and then another one and then it will end to this like big eyeball that you stab and then they kind of heal the area and then that awakens like part of this weird monster that is the boss of that area so the idea is that the game is tasking 
tasking you with being precise in your movement because if you don't hit the next needle fast enough all that goo becomes like lava and will kill you and that's cool and it's fun to pull off but like i just feel like it's missing a mechanic Mm. like i i I'm, when i got to the final boss and i'm like is this just judging me based on me not falling into lava like i just i don't like it's it looks and feels and sounds so cool like the game has everything going for it even my like critique on sort of storytelling moments like i like i think the writing is good i think the visuals storytelling is great it just kind of almost by extension of that it just feels like the mechanics also don't know what to like center on yeah you know like i feel like in mario odyssey it's all about the cap and jumping and i i feel like is this just about like because the the first boss is this sort of like dragon that has these scales and eventually their whole body is lava and the controls are like fairly slippery because it's like very like you're skating and moving very quickly so to then task us with like being very precise, it almost feels like those moments of Sonic where like you are asked to do the same when the basic mechanics are to go as fast as possible. So I almost wish the game like allowed you to be freer in your movement. I feel like it might have been a miscalculation to have the progression of the game based on precision when in reality it feels the best when it's the most open yeah you know yeah so that's like my my biggest kind of and maybe that clears up the further you get into it like i think um overall like as i get some more abilities like the, the most fun is you can grind on rails so like eventually areas will be larger and you will unlock sort of dark souls elevators to make shortcuts and the way the elevators work is they're just rails that you like grind up and down and that is so much fun to do so i i would guess that by the time the game is like it's also a shorter game from what i know i would guess that in like the final acts when you have all the abilities it might kind of come into clearer focus right but i do think starting with fewer and it feeling a little bit kind of almost half-baked is is a little bit of a big ask especially given that it's really hard like the boss took me a long time i don't i think a lot of people might drop it there when they don't fully know what the game is even about at that point yeah so it's definitely like a messy game but i think it's got a lot of really cool ideas it's just really cool to be in and just kind of i i ended up playing it way longer than i even intended to just because i loved running around the environment like i, I think the actual movement feels great yeah um, i just wish the campaign was like more aligned to what felt good if that made sense yeah th this is in the same uh realm of games that i really want to catch up on like the pathless that another game where you're yeah, kind of yeah. skating around an environment and doing a bunch of stuff that was an annapurna joint a uh, published joint if i recall correctly and i think actually solar ashes also right isn't yeah, that also, annapurna? also annapurna yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. um i'm curious about playing it what uh what are you playing it on out of curiosity i play on xbox is it on game pass it is on game pass yeah oh. that's, that's partially why i went no brainer exactly yeah i'm gonna exactly. play it too all, all that to say i do i do hope this game kind of gets like more of a spotlight on it because i do think it's a really like i really commend heart machine for following up hyper light drifter with something like this that even though there is like a lot of connective elements and they are i think set in the same world quote unquote like yeah. loosely um, it is like a pretty big departure from what Hyperlight Drifter did well. So I think it, it, it's one of those kind of sophomore releases that I think will pave the way for like a really great third entry. Mm. It reminds me in that sense of like Transistor uh, yeah. and Supergiant where like, I mean, that game has like a huge fandom as well. And I, I think it's wonderful, but it's definitely, I would say I like 
pretty much every other super giant game more just because i think like it felt like the ideas were more interesting in concept but those ideas led to pyre and hades which were like both i mean hades is one of my favorite games of all time yeah. so like yeah. i can see solar ash being great on its own merits but also just being a really important like a step, step towards the next thing for yeah. heart machine exactly right yes yeah. so it's worth checking out if you're curious and if you're a fan of this developer for sure i'm excited uh I'm ex- it, it kind of gets me more excited for hyper lightbreaker actually I th- yeah I, me too the more i see that game the the more interesting uh it feels to me especially as somebody who like enjoyed hyper light drifter but found the difficulty to eventually get to the point where I, I, I like wasn't having fun with it um yeah i i really want to engage more with this heart machine stuff i mean like they do you know removed from the differences in like gameplay and presentation like just their aesthetic is is really uh is oh really yeah. strong you know they, they they just came out swinging with like a really like built up and and confident voice I, I'm just excited to see more of their stuff. Yeah, and I think that's partially why I subconsciously brought up Supergiant because it feels very similar to like that team kind of having a very dedicated like staff and style because of it. Like you can see, like I think sometimes it's easy to personify developers and companies and it's like just saying Capcom as like an immortal being is ignoring like the various changes of staff between the Dreamcast era and now. Absolutely. But with something like Supergiant, like I mean, I'm sure they've had changes too, but like it has been largely like the same core group of people for a very long time, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think that's what makes Hades feel even more special is like, you know, it's like Darren Korb and Logan Cunningham have been like the voice and soundtrack of these games since Bastion. Yeah. You know, seeing that develop is so cool. If I recall correctly with heart machine, there was a little bit of a split after hyper light drifter where, Oh, was there? Yeah. One one of the developers went off um, and made, we are OFK, which was that kind of like visual novel. Oh yeah. Group, um, which is another game that I really want to check out. Uh, Kim, a friend of the show, Kim, um, who hosts frog of the week speaks very highly of, we are OFK. It's been on my list for a long time. Yeah. I didn't realize that was them. That also has a similar like color palette to solar ash, which is kind of funny. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited for what comes next. And I'll definitely play more Solar Rash. I feel like it reminds me of how I felt when I played Sable. It kind of reminds me of Sable yeah. where like I'm like, this feels a little bit confused mechanically, but there's something like there's a spirit to this game that I really admire. And right. like, uh, you know, obviously there's so many people on that game that I admire like as artists. So it's kind of in the same realm for me. And, and in a weird way, it's like has some some similar themes. And I think the Mobius influence is kind of present in both as well. Yeah, uh, that's sort of psychedelic sci fi design. Cool. That's Solar Ash. It's on Game Pass. It's on everything as far as I can tell. Maybe not Switch. Let me look that up real quick. It's on Switch, baby. <laughs> Wait, I just I just Googled it and I'm looking at the platforms. It says Nintendo Switch, PS5, PS4, Xbox One, more in all capitals. <laughs> what is this? Oh, yeah. It just means it just means this Game more. Boy Color. Oh, yeah. I would love a Game Boy Color remake of Solar Ash. That sounds great. Yeah, that would honestly be great. OK, let's um, uh, let's take a break and, and venture into Halloween Town. That sounds wonderful. I'm so excited to talk about these games. Yeah, me too. I, you've teased the one you have, and I'm very curious what's going on. Oh, so. yeah. <laughs> All right. See you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Welcome back. It is spooky season. You heard the music. We're here. Bats, mummies. My mom unprompted just sent me a picture of a Halloween decoration we've had since like at least 1995. Wow. It's 
a mummy, a witch, and a Frankenstein. You push a button and they sing the monster mash as they slowly rock left to right. But Frankenstein this for at least... Yeah, yeah, it, it is like chipmunk slowed down version of monster mash. I love that. And Frankenstein doesn't move anymore, so he just hangs on the two of them. But she's kept it. She commits to the decor, which I have to respect. Have you ever so. heard um, that Alvin the Chipmunk slowed down version that's on soundcloud yeah it's great it's like genuinely a good album it's Although a fucking it, great album yeah it reveals how creepy some of those songs are like my <laughs> sharona is is haunting my if you sharona. if you listen yeah. to the lyrics it's not great yeah um but <laughs> it, though that that album is awesome it's like it, it's like lou reed covers the hits yeah you know yeah i forget what it's called i think it's like the sludge monks or something yeah, <laughs> yeah. and they're all kind of melted on the cover yeah oh man that album rocks anyway yeah it's good uh that that is spooky but let me talk about a video game i, I played this week um yes. i i want to be upfront about this because th- this is a game uh that is famously short uh it is like anywhere between five to seven hours i really thought i was able to finish it in time for this episode and i just i just didn't have the time because of comic-con so uh i i am definitely over halfway in like definitely in act three almost at the end that game is the order 1886 we're um, here baby i'm so excited to talk about this game this is a game i've wanted to play for so kind of similar with you and, and solar ash like i've wanted to play this game for a long time i think the big thing is that this game came out in 2015 and i yeah. bought it for like four dollars on sale at some point and just never played it and i've just been waiting for the right moment and there's been a little bit i've noticed here and there occasionally like a youtube video here will pop up or like a post on threads or something over here every once in a while there's somebody who's like hey you should give that game another shot and uh if you don't know about the order 1886 it was like an almost launch title or maybe was a launch title but like launch window for the playstation 4 uh by a studio called ready at dawn and when it came out it was you know one of supposed to be one of the big first party playstation studios We've started a new intellectual property. The order is going to be around for fucking ever. And this is just the beginning of like, you know, a big, long story. The game came out absolutely tanked commercially and and critically also for the most part. Yeah, it was it was it was like mixed at best from what I remember. Yes. And I think a lot of that comes from a the the way it was marketed and and b the pedigree of of the studio and c just like how interesting it seems from the outside so just to like tackle all of those in general like again this game was pitched as you know a one of the first big new playstation first party properties which was exciting you know i, I just think playstation is always trying their best with that kind of stuff i feel like the most recent one we got is what horizon or i guess ghost of tsushima also in that in that vicinity like there's they're still throwing stuff at the wall to see what sticks every once in a while and i appreciate that playstation is like still invested in doing that they're not just like only god of war only God of War. Yeah, we'll see what happens. But I, I, I know you mean there's still like the remnants of that, even up to the recent generations. Yes. Yeah. Um. But so that was exciting. Ready at Dawn as a studio is really fascinating just because they, they have this like kind of long history of making games for portable devices specifically before making the order. They they made uh the what was it? Daxter on the PSP. Um. They also, I think, did Ratchet and Clank Size Matters on the PSP. And then they did some stuff on the Vita. And notoriously, the thing about Ready at Dawn is like if they're making a game for a handheld system, they are pushing that system to its literal limits graphically. Like when you're talking about the stuff that Ready at Dawn makes on on those two systems, usually 
that comes with the like, I can't believe that this is on the PSP or I can't believe this is on the Vita. Like they're really able to just extract all the power. Similar to like what people said about Team Ico when Shadow of the Colossus came out in the PS2. Yeah, or, uh, or Rare on the 64, weirdly enough. Like I feel like yeah. even though it's like weird games to highlight graphically, like Donkey Kong 64 was one of the first that required the like N64 expansion pack. Yeah, yeah. It's just it's one of those things where like at the end of every console's life cycle, you get the game that you can't believe was released on that console. Final Fantasy IX and Chrono Cross. Exactly. Yeah. The Last yeah. of Us on the PS3. Like you just you yeah. just have these like pivotal moments where it's like, oh, you're getting almost a preview of the next generation on the one you're mm-hmm. playing now, which is very cool. And Ready at Dawn was always very good at extracting that kind of power out of handheld devices. And this was their first really big go at making something on a console. And what was really cool about giving Ready at Dawn this specific game is like they're making it in the launch window this team that is known for extracting all the power out of devices gets to try and do that at the beginning of a console's life cycle instead of at the end and seeing if they can set the bar super fucking high for everybody else after the fact like that's a cool idea i think we'll talk about how well they achieve that later and then the third thing is just like the premise of the game is really fascinating so you play as uh one member of literally the knights of the round table in 1886 london uh this like alternate history version of of london where king arthur was a real guy and he set up the knights of the round table and the knights still exist and they found something that's adjacent to the fountain of youth that prevents you from dying if you continue to drink it so it, it's almost um i was talking to our friend adam volerich at, at comic-con the other day um we were just walking and i was pitching this game to him because i mean this is like the most adam game possible <laughs> in a lot of ways i what i said to him is either you will think this is the best seven out of ten game you've ever played or you will think it's an affront to both video games and cinema (laughs) (laughs) or both or yeah or both um but uh but the the way he pitched it was like oh it's the opposite of the cyanide capsule they give to spies and i was like yes that is exactly the vibe (laughs) is like you like somebody gets the killing blow on you if you're able to drink that you're going to be fine uh which is fascinating so there are some members of the order who have been around for like hundreds of years hypothetically uh which is wild like the guy who is running the order like was friends with king arthur at one point like this feels so spiritually like sony's steam world quest like i can't stop thinking about like is lucina in this like (laughs) i just i i keep thinking about like it just feels weirdly um, codename steam codename steam yeah sorry steam yeah codename steam which was the like johnny appleseed avengers yes that had fire emblem characters and 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 george washington yeah Yeah. i'm I'm just i'm just like fate had it in for both of these games yeah as being like the new IP for Nintendo and Sony. Such a bummer. Anyway, so uh, yeah. so you're playing as uh, Galahad. You're playing as Sir Galahad as, as one of the knights of the round table. And in this version of London, there are the knights who are this kind of like almost extra ju- judiciary team, almost like, you know, uh, like a SWAT team of sorts that are just like hyper capable. They're all equipped with this little like magic drink that allows them to live forever or whatever. And they just kind of roam the streets and they are specifically known for like hunting werewolves, half man, half beasts that are every once in a while popping up in London. And it seems like with an increasing degree, there are more and more popping up. I think from what I could tell, at least based on the story, it seems like it's just a weird evolutionary thing that happened at some point. But these were when they turn from human into beast, they end up wreaking havoc. This is not a situation where it's like, oh, they're misunderstood. Like they're like, killing a lot of people you know um be- <laughs> sorry 
I just got a flashback of Dragon Age Origins where a werewolf was at my camp being like, whenever you're ready, we'll fight at your side. And it's like, yes, like that's that's the sympathetic werewolf. There, it, there is a possibility, of course, that this game will go in that direction later on or sure. maybe wanted to in sequels. But for the most part, you're introduced to the Knights of the Round Table and the Order, as it were, as like this group that goes out and hunts beasts. Weirdly, on the side of that, there seems to be some kind of rebellion that wants to rise up against the queen. And you're just tasked constantly with going out and like wiping out these rebels as well, um, which raises a lot of questions that I'll get to later. But that's kind of like the premise of the game. So you have these you have these three specific pieces of the game where it's like okay this is this is gonna be pitched as this new ip it's by a studio that is like ready to really fucking make their mark yeah and like make the game that's gonna put them on the map on like the console landscape and not just handhelds and you have like a really interesting setup for a world on top of all of this visually just to get at that like it is stunning looking still like today it is one of the best looking games i've ever played and it is a ps4 game uh that launched in 2015 it is astounding where I think this game is fascinating to me and why I think it is like maybe the linchpin in some ways of everything that PlayStation Studios has ever tried to do and is trying to do right now. This is the classic PlayStation Studios third person over the shoulder cinematic thing that we see in so many other games now, like all the ones we just mentioned before, where they take it too far. And I think the Order 1886 really proved the limits of this as like the auteur staple of PlayStation Studios. The whole thing is presented in 240 by one aspect ratio, which is like the cinematic aspect ratio with the like letterboxing on the top and bottom. So the whole game is letterboxed. On top of that, they just bump up the film grain a ton and they're like rendering these kind of anamorphic lenses. So the whole thing re and, and it's also color graded to look just like a film. They, they went really out of their way to make this look as cinematic as possible. And I think what that does for a lot of people and reading a lot of reviews of the game is create a, a situation where a lot of people are talking about this game as if it is like a tech demo or as if it is like, you know, uh, like, like a, like a, just a playable trial of a movie in some ways because the actual gameplay is like it's not as involved as i think you'd want it's not as choice driven as i think you'd want this game is very very railroaded like a lot of the reviews of this game that i think pounded it pretty hard came from the perspective of like you're just running through corridors shooting things for the most part every once in a while there's a quick time event and then outside of that you're just watching cutscenes, and the whole thing is presented from this like really cinematic perspective that makes that raises the question should this have even been a video game in the first place and i'm of i'm of two minds about that the more i play it because i'm like on one on one hand i kind of like that experience i kind of like the experience of like sitting back and just having this game that is so confident in the story it wants to tell me just kind of pull me through it with almost like no input from me. It's like, OK, I just I have to shoot the guys. OK, I could do that. I could shoot the guys. I've done that before. On the other on the other hand, they put so much time and effort into rendering these characters so perfectly, making sure that all of their movements just seem so realistic, like motion capture on everything. There are so many times while playing this game again in 2023 where I'm like, I didn't realize that I was supposed to be playing right now because I thought the cutscene was still happening, which is <laughs> yeah. a magic trick I haven't felt since I played the Bioshock demo in 2007, which is like like when the demo came out in 2007, to be clear, where like the plane crashes and you're floating in the water. And I thought that I was still watching a cutscene and then realized I could move the character and had the like, holy shit moment. 
today I'm having that experience with the Order 1886, like every 20 to 25 minutes. I can't believe that the game is playable at the point that I'm playing it at. I just I just think that they invested so heavily in in making their vision come to life, in making their their vision of like a hyper cinematic game become real that they have, I think, in some ways pushed what video games should be in some ways to a limit for a lot of people for me i'm i love it like i'm having a really 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 good time with the order 1886 i think like the combat sequences could be better designed in a lot of cases like you'll just end up running into a space that is so clearly just an arena where you have to fight just like tons and tons of dudes as they pour out of you know spawn points and buildings and stuff the combat also ends up being weirdly really difficult every once in a while there's one combat section in particular where you're just like kind of standing at the top of a uh, at the top of a building and there are all these droves of dudes coming out and you have another guy on on your squad uh who is trying to like hold them off from beneath where you are but isn't doing a very good job because like his ai isn't great so a lot of the guys get by him and then like rush into where you are and they all have shotguns and they just take you out in one hit like you just die a lot and i i died on that section many 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 times and it's in those moments where i can understand why people reviewing this game at the time in 2015 were like maybe not the other part of it comes honestly hand in hand with a lot of the conversation we had over the past two weeks where it's like this game was released at $60 and a lot of people didn't think that it was worth it because it was only like five to seven hours. And in reading interviews with the team that made this game, especially looking back specifically on making this game now that I could talk about where Ready at Dawn is at now, but like they've been asked a couple times like, hey, what would you have done differently? What did you think about the order? Like now a couple of years removed, they just assumed they were going to be able to make a sequel. Like they just assumed that if they made this really tight five to seven hour campaign, left it off with like a cliffhanger or something, a lot of people would be clamoring for a sequel and would be really excited to see more of that world. And they could get a larger budget from PlayStation to just make like really the the big sequel that I think everyone wanted out of it in the same way, like Assassin's Creed one to two became, you know, this like, hey, this is a really good test run for the game we really want to make. And we just see that time and time again in video games yeah. I think in particular. They, they were probably specifically thinking of Uncharted two as well. Yeah, or like Uncharted one, by all means, was sort of like. It sounds like they might have looked at Uncharted 1 on the PS3 in a similar kind of mission for this game where it's like it does feel that very way. early release, very cinematic, in some ways, arguably a tech demo. And then like Uncharted 2 gets released and is way more, I think, closer to the vision of the series than the first game was. Yes. But yeah, it sounds like maybe assuming that was sort of their pitfall, I guess. Yeah, I think I think I think that ended up being the big problem uh, all told. But the, the unfortunate thing about where Ready at Dawn is now is like this game got released and it didn't do very well. And then they didn't get greenlit for a sequel. And then Facebook bought them. And now they're like making stuff for the meta quest, as far as I know. And I don't uh, I don't know how that stuff is being really uh, being received. Like there are, I know there are people out there who like love the meta quest headsets and, and they just released a new one and people seem to really like it. That's cool. There's great stuff on there. I just don't know what Ready at Dawn stuff is like, but it's it's just such a bummer to me that this game didn't spawn a sequel. Like, just just give it another shot, because it's to me, like I said before, it is like one of the best seven out of ten games I've I've ever played. Like, I, I'm just having this experience over and over again where I, I am oscillating between like just absolutely dumbfounded at what they were able to accomplish on the PS4 and then simultaneously like, well, you know, the gameplay is not quite there. And it leaves you in this weird space, you know, where, where you're kind of like like a Schrodinger's cat of trying to understand understand how you feel about the game 
at any given moment because it's so unclear. But what they've managed to do, I think just in terms of like, just to take a step back, one of the things I, I, I keep thinking about it while I'm playing is um, there's this great video uh, by, by Patrick Willems on YouTube that's called Who Killed Cinema? And it's presented as this kind of like Hercule Poirot investigation of a bunch of suspects. You know, it's like, OK, was it was it Marvel? Was it, uh, you know, the studios at large? Was it Netflix? Like, who did it? And and one of the conversations that he has or brings up a lot in that video is this idea of like a lot of the major movie studios kind of wound down their smaller studios that, where they made like movies for adults like touchstone pictures and stuff that were making like movies to like get adults in seats at, at the movie theater. You know, a lot of that stuff is like being created and then being uploaded to Netflix and, and to Paramount Plus and like all these other streaming services and or Apple TV and like not showing up in theaters at all. And something about playing the order 1886 to me really feels like this is a video game made for adults and not in like the Game of Thrones, like people are fucking and dying all the time way, but in like a really like there's a lot of political intrigue going on here. The vibe I'm getting now, again, I'm only like two thirds of the way into the game um and and maybe they don't go this route and honestly that would be disappointing but there's a little bit of like a, are we the baddies thing going on you know sure where yeah. I, I keep asking myself like every time i run into the rebels and they're fighting i'm like i'm fighting the rebels like i'm part of like essentially the queen's guard and i'm fighting a rebellion who is upset at the queen and like various companies in london in the 1880s like there's obviously some kind of corruption or something fucked up going on here and i and i am like literally you know the the judge dread out here just like <laughs> wiping them out one by one on the streets which then also raises questions about the beast that you're fighting it's really it's really fascinating it really does feel like they just kind of established like a really kind of adult and interesting world to explore and again it's a bummer they didn't get to do more of it but what i'm left with at the moment honestly even knowing that there will probably never be a sequel you know unless like playstation still has the ip technically like they could hand it to another studio and say hey make a sequel to this if they wanted to or like do i'm it. sure there's also an astrobot in astrobot's playroom that is referencing the there is in some way yeah yes there is yeah I, I remember seeing it and being like wow that's weird that they did that <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I remember I saw a Gravity Rush Astrobot, and I was like, "Oh man, are they going to bring it back?" And then I think I saw the Order one, and I was like, "Oh no, they're just yeah, they're just nodding to the past." <laughs> um, just like the the way the story has has panned out, um, has involved essentially like a bunch of rebel groups seemingly working with the beasts, which has been very interesting, and. You are are under the command of uh, Sir Percival, one of the other Knights of the Round, who is kind of on the side despite the order itself and like the knights of the round and the council at large and like the queen not being okay with it you're kind of doing like a covert operation to try and investigate and see what's going on with this rebellion group and see if they've infiltrated like the higher levels of government specifically um and it puts you in this really precarious position where you keep running into these spaces trying to keep a low profile and end up like needing to call in the cavalry or like you know because this is an alternate version of, of london in the 1880s like you have these airships and zeppelins and stuff that have huge fucking bombs that you can like call in with binoculars and like your radio and stuff and just like drop bombs on places where you think werewolves might be and it just it raises all of these questions obviously for Gallic had also which which is why i i'm hopeful that the game is going to go in kind of the right direction in terms of what they're having you do but i i think all told and the reason i really wanted to kind of talk to you about this and pitch it to you is like it feels like a seven hour version of the opening of final fantasy 4 specifically like the the opening where you're playing what is his name it starts with a c cecil yeah where, where cecil. you're yeah. playing as cecil and, and you're under orders by the king to like go steal a gem from a, a castle uh or like from a city and just like wipe out all the people there and you just have this moment like really early on, i mean it's the first like 30 minutes of the game 
where you know you get ousted from your from your crew and like start to turn a new leaf it feels like what ready at dawn wanted to accomplish with the order 1886 was setting up the stakes of the world as galahad understanding that the order is not a a group to be trusted and i really appreciate that i think that's like a bold thing to do and again i haven't finished it so i'll report back when i'm done and you know if you're okay with me spoiling it i guess uh let me know somewhere but i I would like to talk about it more (laughs) you get a letter in the mail (laughs) from galahad no no. like in in like the medieval script i i just really think if you're out there and you're even remotely interested in this game, just like give it a shot, like go download it. It is either very cheap or free in a lot of cases. And you can download this game and you can get, and you can play it right now and you will probably have a good time. Again, it is very short, so you can kind of blast through it, which I think is great. I can't I can't, honestly can't speak highly enough about it. It is like really in my wheelhouse of games that I know are kind of maligned, I think, critically and commercially. And even to this day, like if you if you hop into forums and stuff and see what people are saying about it, like everyone in a very derogatory way just calls it a tech demo, you know, and says like, oh, it's too expensive. But at the price you can get it now, not that that should, I think, really influence my feelings critically for the most part about it but at the price you can get it now it's like kind of a no-brainer you're just gonna have a fucking great time with it it's so interesting to hear you talk about this game because i think like it's something that i've been thinking about a lot regarding just playstation studios and sort of like the sort of brand and and the games that sony chooses to publish and invest in like over the course of you know ps1 to now specifically when playing the uncharted series yeah and you know we we have a bonus on the uncharted series coming up in november it's wild to play uncharted 2 and kind of see like this is the blueprint basically for all of their games like after this point yes like Uncharted 2 is like at least 50% of every PlayStation Studios game. Yeah. I don't say that in a bad way. I just like that is really where they found like here is our blueprint yeah. for sort of the narrative experience we want to provide. Yeah, I think Uncharted 2 and and Lost Legacy, which we'll talk about more in, in the in the bonus, but like Lost Legacy yeah. also in terms of like taking that and being like, what if we added some side quests to that? And like that really becomes it, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's like Last of Us and God of War and, you know, you have some variations here. Like I think Ghost of Tsushima feels very much like you know assassin's creed kind of like a best of that style of open world game yeah. and ratchet and clank is doing its own thing but like the rest of them do kind of adhere to that mold which all those games are great but it does i think the first time i felt genuine concern for that conformity was with ragnarok mm-hmm. we're like I think that that is also a good game. And I feel bad that I use it as like an example of my concern, like constantly. But it does feel like the first time where I felt the game suffered from the formula. And every other case, I think the game, the games benefit from it because I think I can see why they do it. It's like it's a perfect way to pace that type of narrative experience. But in Ragnarok, it felt like the game was simultaneously trying to do more within that framework yeah and i just don't think the uncharted 2 skeleton can withhold a like 50 plus hour experience always yeah yeah it, re- it really depends yeah and that was kind of, you know you're you're kind of uh you kind of have two masters in that situation right where you're like try you're trying to appease that almost formula that that the studio has kind of i don't want to say mandated but like has made clear that's what they want to be known for right just like as playstation studios as the higher entity in general and then on the other hand you want the game to be like long enough and feature rich enough that you won't get that this game is too short and not worth the money complaints on the internet and what 
that does is just draw out stories longer than they need to be. And and like rule number one of storytelling is start when the story gets interesting and end when it's not, you know? And, yeah. and I think one of the things you and I talked about with Ragnarok a lot, and to be clear, again, I really, really, really liked Ragnarok, but there are some moments of that game. They're like, and when I talk about moments, I'm saying like half an hour to hour and a half to two hour stretches of that like 30 hour campaign that just feel kind of like filler adjacent where I'm like, I, I, I'm not I'm not learning more about this character in in, you know, any way that I couldn't have in the previous or future cutscenes, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, it, it just really feels like it is pushing that limit. And that's the thing about the order is like, I think, you know, if, if Uncharted 2 is like one of the bedrock blueprints for this, the order represents the furthest you can push that before it becomes a problem. Right. And <laughs> yeah, like, I, right. I really do. I think and maybe I'm wrong about this, you know, but if, if I just had to extrapolate this out, like I feel like there probably were people at PlayStation Studios who played that game, talked about it, saw the reception to it and really just like put that as the flag at the other end of this scale and said, like, this is where games can't be like we we did push it too far. We pushed it to its limit. Every game we make has to be somewhere in between this scale now between Uncharted 2 and The Order 1886. It does feel that way. And I think in a weird way, too, like, I think you and I both kind of yearn, like, I really do hope Sony continues to invest in new IP. I'm sure they will, because that's kind of been in different ways they've tried to execute this. But I feel like Sony has always been interested in finding out who, like, what is their content like what is their stuff about like in the ps1 you can tell they were desperately trying to find who their mario was we got crash we got spyro we got croc we got gex we got you know so many uh yeah exactly and like i think crash kind of came closest um and it's interesting too to trace naughty dog's history where it's like even in that era naughty dog was sort of setting the tone yes for for the rest of the of the company because i feel like all of the big developers under playstation studios all have like done their time with a mascot like insomniac did spyro Mm -hmm. sucker punch did sly cooper but like you can't really draw a line from Sly Cooper to Ghost of Tsushima, you know, <laughs> uh, as as cleanly. Whereas, like, I think you actually can draw a line from Crash to Jack and Daxter to Uncharted to Last of Us. Yeah. Like, the level where Crash runs away from a boulder behind him, like, that is the moment Uncharted was born. Yes, you know? it does feel like, that way. And that's, yeah, it's present in Uncharted 4 for that reason. Yeah, yeah. right. I mean, there's an acknowledgement of it. Yeah. Um, whoa! Uh, but <laughs> that's great. I thank you. It's one of my gifts. But uh, I, I bring all this up because I think like games like Gravity Rush and The Order represent this sort of like remnants of a previous era of Sony where they were maybe a little bit more willing to throw stuff at the wall. Yeah. You know, and I think like I hope we still get those risks. You know, I hope we we don't just get, OK, we found out that like Last of Us, God of War, Horizon and and Ghost of Tsushima work. And again, all great games, but I just don't I think like with any any creative team or company or, or individual finding out what works and stopping there is always like the least interesting thing you could do. Mm-hmm. You know, I know it's a business and I think in general games benefit more from sequels than I would say other media does. Like I think in the case of the order, we almost wanted a sequel because I think games benefit from iteration, Yeah, you know, more than say movies do where like usually the sequel might be less good because like why try to recapture the same magic? Yeah. Whereas like in games, it's like, Oh yeah, people didn't know how to make maps yet so 
like, of course, the sequel will be better because <laughs> it has a map. Right. But anyway, you definitely sold me on this game. And I, I it just to me, it, it is in such a unique and interesting time, 2015, because that was also an era where I think linear was a bad word because I think yes. there was this bubbling. You know, we were two years away from Breath of the Wild. Like there was this percolating interest in the open world genre being like the standard. The triple A thing. Yeah. We're now, I think, full circle where I think something like The Order feels like a breath of fresh air. Because it absolutely does. Yeah. Every game is trying to be the next big open world. And there is value in having that. Like, I think the Uncharted games are still so much fun to play because they are so linear and authored and you're just kind of getting this like quick burst of enjoyment from them yeah you know yeah yeah i think you're right that it it was like the order is like the icarus of the uncharted style in some ways it very much is yeah i i I really do feel that way and and it's interesting to think about like the the president of playstation studios jim ryan just stepped down as ceo we're hearing rumblings that a lot of those live service games that they had in production are like maybe getting canceled entirely so like i think they had 10 live service games that they were working on that Jim was adamant would serve different audiences but every time we saw a new one it was like a new way to shoot people in the face <laughs> but uh but a lot of those seem to be getting like spun down hypothetically um if, if rumors are true which I think almost leads to me wondering if what we're going to get out of PlayStation Studios continuing on is more stuff like Uncharted more stuff like The Last of Us and like are they just going to continue to double down on that which since the beginning of the PS5 generation this has been the thing that you and I have said about PlayStation is like there's just a concern that they're stagnating creatively in terms of what their games can be I'm very interested in the worlds that they're creating and I really like a lot of these games to be clear yeah but there will be a certain point I think where other people will probably join where you and I are at and it's like I want something more interesting like I want something new that's why Breath of the Wild comes out and changes the open world genre and suddenly everybody's like oh yeah shit this can be totally different than the thing that we have played 400 times in ubisoft games this also might be a bit unfair because i i do i do love a lot of what naughty dog has created and i admire the talent there but like when i'm playing uncharted 2 i'm seeing so much outside influence i'm seeing like that feels so much like eco or shadow of the colossus this feels like you know you could tell like the passion that team has for games and you can feel the pat the passion is present in all their games but when i play like the more recent entries i i think this feels like naughty dog which is a compliment but it also feels like maybe there's less of a visible influence from the outside and more of a what have what have we done versus mm-hmm. what is like out there in the rest of games i also wonder if that's a, if that's an interesting case where like the homogeneity of the other stuff that we're playing and the other stuff that playstation studios is making is retroactively making naughty dog stuff feel less interesting than it was when it released because like at the time that the Uncharted trilogy came out and four and Lost Legacy, like that was kind of it for a bit, you know, like that. Those were the games that felt like that was just the Naughty Dog stuff. And now that it's kind of become the house style of PlayStation Studios, it almost like makes The Last of Us and, and Uncharted feel a little bit less like exciting in some ways. It's an interesting thought. Yeah. And again, like I you and I really enjoyed The Last of Us Part Two, but you can almost feel that like the structure of that game is inherently kind of confused itself, where like you have a teasing of an open world that ends in a literal landmine exploding and then yeah. you're done with that and even in uncharted 4 it feels like they're kind of setting up the idea of maybe an open world uncharted game which i can't think of a better combination to be honest even though i just said the game's benefited from having kind of a linear storytelling like the idea of being like having that type of exploration and platforming a little bit less 
on the rails is interesting to me. Yeah. And we get a flavor of that in Lost Legacy as well. But yeah, it just it just feels like maybe there's a little bit less willingness to kind of experiment and learn. And who knows? Maybe the next game will be totally different. I would love to see that. And you Same. know, I think absolutely we're not at a point where it feels that the games are suffering yet. I just feel like Ragnarok was the first one where I'm like, when a bunch of bad guys interrupt a dialogue scene i don't feel like oh shit we're in a new realm and there's a threat i feel the boardroom was was nervous that i would get bored during that this there scene. wasn't enough combat in this moment and yes. so they threw a few goblins at me so then once we defeat them the supporting character will go anyway like i was saying <laughs> <laughs> I almost want to end it there. Yeah, yeah, right. But anyway, that's enough on that. I think we'll 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 have more of that discussion in the Uncharted episode. And a, yeah. a lot of it's positive too, to be clear. Like this is just sort of it's out of admiration that we had these concerns, you know. I think it's it's just general musing and it's like an extrapolation, you know, yeah, of, of, exactly. of literally like the stated goals and wishes of the executive team of PlayStation and what they want to accomplish <laughs> with this and the next generation. Like it's literally what they said they want to do, you know, and that's that's fine and probably will be fine for some. And I, I, I think may, maybe it's a little bit because I, I work in like the New York media scene and there's a, like, I just know a lot of people who produce podcasts and stuff. And like, I I've seen a similar thing happen with the podcasting industry as well, where like these big expensive podcasts are being spun up for one season so they can hopefully turn them into a movie one day or like sell the rights to HBO to make a documentary instead. You know, it's like PlayStation studios now spinning up their own film studio as well within Sony entertainment at large is like, okay, is is the next Ghost of Tsushima game, you know, trying to be fodder for a script for a sequel. Actually, we already know there's a Ghost of Tsushima movie in the works. Uh, so there's that. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's just a very interesting space to be. But all that said, like industry shit aside, I just think The Order 1886, it's a game you should go check out. It's very good for spooky season. Uh, oh, yeah. The, the moments in which you're like locked in a room and need to fight werewolves fucking rocks. Like it's just I will say there's some like dated game design in terms of the um in terms of the the quick time events and just like the ways in which they make you like pass or fail quick time checks, you know, feels almost like Spider-Man 2 on the PlayStation 2 in some yeah. ways. Or is it three? Is it is three the one that famously has the like I'm going to die moment? I think it's three. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, the order rocks. I, I really can't wait to finish it. And I again playing it because I think it's good for spooky season, but also kind of as like a lead up to the uncharted episode, because I, I, I yeah. thought it would be important to play that game for the uncharted episode. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I now having played as much of it as I have, I, I really am glad I did because I think it's going to inform a lot of that conversation. It's weird how Shenmue kind of briefly quick time event pilled me for that, for that research yeah, period. Yeah. It kind of shows you how to, and how not to do quick time events at the same time. Yeah. I do like them informing how shitty I perform my the day job in Shenmue yes, 2 yes. like bringing the books outside to dry I'm like this feels like how like <laughs> this is the perfect not like life or death just like how did my day go today yeah, like yeah. <laughs> how quickly could I there are days where it does feel like I get a stomach ache because I didn't push square fast enough you yeah. know but there's also when you when you nail it in Shenmue there is I, I think and this this is at least what this is kind of the beauty of Shenmue <laughs> I think is just yeah. this this marriage of the gameplay and and the theme and just like the actual emotion that the team is trying to evoke in the player but anytime there's a quick time event in that game for the most part in the moments that aren't combat I should be clear specifically so the moments that you're talking about I find that there is like almost a meditative quality and the game is almost asking you to acknowledge that there is like a meditative presence in doing some rote shit 
you know, like yeah. when, when you need to work on the docks and stuff and just like move stuff around on the docks with your fucking forklift. I know people hate that sequence, but for me, it was like almost freeing. Like I actually put a podcast on in real life. Like I would have done <laughs> if I was actually shen- like actually you know, driving that forklift, you know, yeah. while I was doing those sequences because it just like I, I just understood what they wanted me to understand in that moment, you know? Um, yeah implicitly which i think is is beautiful but in the order 1886 the quick time events are like pick up a knife off the ground and stab this werewolf in the neck and if you don't do it then galahad just dies even though he has a magic drink that makes him not die <laughs> literally on his neck at all times it's a story moment they, 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 they point it out all the time and and show how important that drink is but you could still die <laughs> yeah it's which real. is very silly anyway why don't we take a quick break and then bring up our last game we got one more game. Let's make it happen. You know, let's let's get the fuck out of here. Let's get <laughs> Book this them, party Dino. sucks. Bye bye. Bye bye. Happy Halloween. Hey, Brendan. Hey. Hey, how's it going? I'm pretty good. There was another horror ish game that came out in March that I've been waiting to play until now. <laughs> yeah. I know we had a very haunted spring this year. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what happened. I have finally played a game called Dredge, uh, which is like a Lovecraftian fishing game developed by Black Salt Games. This is also like one of the early kind of hits of the year. I remember a lot of people talking about it. And yeah. you even brought it to the show, I think, when you first played it, I guess, around that time, very briefly. Yeah, I was trying to remember if I brought it to the show. Did I? You either did or we talked about it. I can't quite remember which one. Um, yeah. I do remember you describing it as having the Resident Evil 4 menu. Yeah, I think maybe 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 I didn't bring it to the show and I was waiting for you to play it. And then you said you wanted to wait until now. Maybe that's what happened. But either maybe. way, I'm excited to finally talk about it. Yeah, the way it works is essentially it reminds me weirdly of Darkest Dungeon in format and some of the music. It's it's much less grim, but it's sort of this like I don't know if it's set in Maine, but it feels kind of like northeastern shore town, like maybe like New England or Maine. And uh, you are a fisherman. You're new to this town run by a suspiciously enthusiastic mayor and otherwise <laughs> tired people. Yeah. And basically you're the new fisherman the old fisherman is like kind of rumored like no one really explains like why he's why he left but there's kind of like a mystery there and the way it works mechanically is like you navigate this boat what i really love and what's really like elegantly designed is time passes only whenever you move or when you're fishing yeah or when you take actions at town that will say like oh this will take three hours to do or whatever Mm -hmm. so you navigate this little boat it's like a weirdly beautiful game yeah like for being sort of a horror experience like it's really pretty and a lot of even when it's like nighttime and it's a little spookier like the art style of the game is really really nice and it also is like strangely cozy uh which i think all survival games kind of have that element of coziness even if they're darker like this one because there's that feeling of like oh i'm safe you know there's that feeling of like it's minecraft at nighttime but i built a house and i'm and i'm okay <laughs> yes that kind of hits like a it's, a it's a great yeah it is exactly what it feels like wow there's a mushy part of our brain that's like hiding in caves is relaxing <laughs> uh, that's that's what these games hit so you navigate this boat time passes when you move and when you try to fish there's like a little mini game where you have to like time a button press to hit like these green areas it is not unlike the stardew valley fishing but it's like a radial menu instead of sort of the the like up and down one uh the vertical one that's like a thermometer and early on you're basically just catching fish 
you sell them and you're also slowly paying off a Tom Nook-esque debt to the mayor for your new fishing boat. I'll say that the very beginning, that is really it. And the game is actually, I think, very wise to slowly ramp up the horror element. Like you kind of forget that it's a horror game for the first hour or so because like you're just kind of talking to people and, and meeting the townsfolk and selling fish. And then eventually you're going to catch a fish with like a big eyeball on it or like <laughs> something fucked up and the music kind of gets weird. And then when yeah. you sell it to the fishmonger, he's like, oh, I'll pay you a lot for these. And usually they come out at night. And when it's nighttime, there's like an eyeball on the menu up top and like you'll see things glowing more. And there's just this more unknown stuff i have i have yet to see a lot of the like more out there things so far my only like horror quote unquote has been a bunch of red-eyed birds flying towards my boat and stealing fish from me <laughs> uh or like catching kind of lovecraftian fish yeah and there's also like a reclusive guy on an island nearby that wants me to find like relics for him mm-hmm. and I will say that the game like begins with just catching fish. And then as soon as you've paid off your debt, like a million quests open up. Yeah. I do wonder if it could be paced a little better in that way, but it is like genuinely exciting to be like, okay, I think my boat is like a little bit better. I want to see if I could like venture out a bit farther and try to like either go to one of the other islands or catch different fish. I've mostly stuck to the, like there are two towns and the recluses cabin, like kind of close to one another. It's like a little triangle and they're all like equidistant and they're all like in fairly well-lit areas that there are lighthouses nearby but even when you get like a little like even just getting to that guy's house yeah you see more out there stuff and if you want to get to the other four islands it's much more of a journey there so i really think the game is is very good at communicating the risk reward of like going to a place and you kind of know like on top of just being a player of this game who wants to see the more out there stuff you will also be rewarded for it if you can catch it so i think it's like a really i think a lot of the best lovecraft stories are centered around someone in like a mundane profession Mm -hmm. or like you know a lot of them are you know uh in similar ish towns where there's like a mystery that eventually like balloons into this like wild thing. Yeah. And I think being a fisherman and kind of like uh, nav- having to navigate between both worlds is a really cool vessel for this story to be in. I'm really enjoying it. I'm still very early on, but like it's really fun and weirdly relaxing and like appropriately spooky for the Halloween season, I think. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's a general sense of unease. I think that starts to creep in the further in you get, which I really appreciate. I, 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 what I love about this game is when you first start playing it, I think you just because there's the big like almost um, Eye of Sauron thing that pops up when it starts to become <laughs> nighttime. <laughs> I don't want this to be a recurring bit. Do you see what I'm seeing right now? Oh, no. What? Ha- oh, no. What happened on Skype? OK, we, we've we learned. So I last time we recorded one of us, I think I did a gesture that made a thumbs up appear. Yeah. When you were pantomiming the R, the Eye of Sauron, a bunch of hearts appeared. 
Oh, because like, it thought that I was greedy. doing the heart. Yes, it with thought you were doing a heart thing. We have to write a letter to Tim Cook and be like, "What on earth is this update?" Yeah, we we learned that that was a that was a Mac OS update and not a Skype thing. Why? Why? It's only going to cause it's going to ruin every podcast. Is that their goal for Apple Podcasts to rain? You have to pay more to not get hearts <laughs> and balloons when we're just talking with their hands. God. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna hold on to my armrests. Yes, yeah, we have to. For this we segment. can't do it. I think if we blink, like cats will appear. It doesn't. <laughs> matter uh, <laughs> it'll, it'll play the entirety of cats 2019 yeah for real if we if we purr into the microphone anyway um <laughs> I talk about spooky season. Um, yeah. <laughs> I what I was trying to say before was I, I appreciate how just that that eyeball showing up and getting like more frenetic as night kind of creeps in almost just teaches you implicitly like okay don't go out at night and you just assume that you shouldn't go out at night originally but of course like the further into the game you get as you're like as, as you get to equip better lights and stuff on your boat you realize like oh no night is actually like, very important to go out and go fishing at night there's like stuff to do but I, I just think I spent the first like maybe three hours of the game like too afraid to go fishing at night because i just assumed that it was going to be bad for me or something bad would happen that's what happened to me too it really isn't until you like because you still can catch the weird fish during the day yes so i think they kind of plan it so that eventually you're gonna get like a stingray with one big eyeball right and then sell it to the guy and he's like this this is fucked up you should get more of these yeah. <laughs> uh, they come out at night but yeah I, I think they do want that to be a slow ramp up and i i also so when you catch fish like i said earlier how you described was the Resident Evil 4 menu your boat is kind of like the shape of your boat is your inventory so like your fishing rods your engines and your lights take up space so like you only have enough space if you have all that equipped you have less room for all your fish and different fish take up more or less space so it is a good incentive too to like go out and catch more fish and bring them back so they don't like rot in your ship and then invest in having more inventory space. So like yeah. the economy loop of the game is really like sharply designed, I think. Yeah, yeah. It's um it is interesting how much of this game when when I was playing it around when it launched, like how much of this game I played as if there was no horror element. You know, I was yeah. I was interested in the horror stuff. Don't get me wrong. And I was progressing that every time some stuff would happen. I would just kind of like revert back to like, I'm just going to go fishing for a while because like that loop just feels so good. And yeah. it almost makes me want like in the, in the same way that Inscription eventually released a version of the game where you could just play the like opening the card, card game. game. Yeah. A, as like a roguelike. I almost wish that there was just like a, a dredge but not scary <laughs> version that I could just turn on. That's like, I just kind of want to go fishing for a while because it just does feel very relaxing. But I think it was wise that they, they really went out to like like make sure that the fishing felt good before because I think yeah. a version of this game could have relied on the horror and that reveal but they really did succeed at just making a really good fishing simulator Yeah, and everything else kind of just accentuates that. I have not gotten as far into this game as I would like um, it's a game I, I want to revisit before goatee season yeah um, me too but uh, I, I have seen some shit Ooh. It gets good. Yeah, I mean, I've I've found a lot of letters, and the mm. when you meet the recluse and give him a relic, he gives you equipment that lets you dredge uh, like shipwrecks and stuff, yeah. and that's where you can simultaneously find resources for upgrades and stuff. It's also kind of chilling that you can only upgrade your ship from shipwrecks mm -hmm. like you are kind of beholden to the failure of others to grow yeah but uh you also find like weird trinkets and relics that like will tell more of the story you can also like read book like you'll find a book that you can read and it's something you have to select like okay my character is reading this book it's the it's the persona thing yeah exactly which is so i i think 
the way they handle like time passing is very cool because you can just like stay still and no time will pass right i also think the eyeball might also be related to how rested your character is because the eyeball usually is only out at night but then it was out during the day and when i rested it went back to sleep Mm. so that suggests that perhaps it's not that this being is present at night but it is like a force within us that we have to monitor, mm. uh, which is also very Lovecraftian. Interesting. Um, yes. I definitely want to see more. It's also on the shorter side. I think it's like a 10 hour game yeah. from what I know. Yeah, yeah. But I you can fish short. as long as you want. You can fish as um, long as you want, baby. <laughs> Dredge that sea. Uh, what are you playing on? I'm playing this on Xbox as well. Cool. Uh, oh, no, no. Actually, no. I have this on PS5. Oh, um, nice. I was playing it on Switch. It runs great on Switch. Yeah, it's also a, it's another soft 3D game, uh, which is becoming one of our favorite art styles so yeah yeah, it's on everything as far as i can tell be ahead on ps5 that's dredge that's dredge baby shall we wrap up yeah let's do it hey thank you so much for listening into the cast that online is our url for everything relating to the show places to listen to the show to rate and review us like apple Podcasts and spotify I think you can review us elsewhere, but those are the two that really help. You can also back us on Patreon. Links to the Patreon, add into the cast that online. Uh, thank you to everyone who's able to do that. We have a lot of exciting plans that I don't want to reveal yet. Any Percent is our show that is every week uh, that where we talk about a topic or a question uh, given to us by the listener. for ten, We have 10 minutes or less to do so. Um, we I think last time was the first time in a while we couldn't do it. And it ended like mid thought, which is kind of funny. We've gotten pretty good at it, but every now and then we slip up. Um, and yeah, we also will, you know, I think our last episode was you and Adam Volerich talked about the Gran Turismo movie, which is a really fun conversation. Um, so we have plans for other episodes on there to uh, expect that early next year. Uh, we'll, we'll keep you updated on that. Bonuses for everyone will be Majora's Mask later this month. Uh, ideally, we're planning to release that on Halloween. And then the Uncharted bonus will be in November. And then game of the year. Can you believe it? It's wow. coming up. Goaty. I'm yeah. so excited for Goaty this year. Yeah, it's going to so be wild. Excited. It's going to be it's so gonna be, weird. <laughs> it's going to be really weird. Yeah. It, I I have no idea what to expect. I mean, it's it's kind of weird because I feel like like 2021 was the year of no consensus. Like, yeah, that was the year where there were there really wasn't like there wasn't like a really game. a standout. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there were a lot of great games, but there was like usually there's one or two games that most publications or, or shows kind of and like there's an Elden Ring or something. Right, right. Right. That year, the closest there was to that was like Metroid Dread and Inscription. And even those were, I think, a bit more niche. Yeah. You know, this year it just feels like there's it's almost the opposite where there's like 10 games. So many that things are, that could be number one. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's it reminds me of 2020 in that sense. Yeah. Even though Hades was, you know, the star of that year, in my opinion. Yeah. But yeah, that's basically it. anything else you want to add there. I think uh, just to remind everyone, we're like pretty much off of Twitter X at this point. So if you want to see yeah. where we're active, like if you do follow us there, we have a pinned post of like all our other social media platforms. Yeah, um, we're, we're updating threads and Blue Sky and Tumblr. Uh, yeah. So if any of those three really speak to you, go for it. Uh, and, and, and of course, there's the Discord as well. And there's the Discord. Yeah. Yeah. The, the only other thing I'd shout out, I think. I think I don't know if this is still the plan. So uh, this will probably happen either in the next episode or the one after that. But Spider-Man 2 is out soon. Marvel Spider-Man oh, yeah. 2. Um, yeah. Just to make it clear, I 
like cannot and should not talk about that game on this podcast. Um, I've just been too like intertwined with it for too many years at this point. So we'll probably have a guest on to talk about that, which uh, I'm, I'm excited to. I'm just excited to hear you guys talk about that game. Um, and, I'm, yeah. and I'm excited to finally play it myself. You'll, you'll nod knowingly as as Waltz kind of watches you cautiously. Yeah, um, exactly. But that that's the, that's the next big release. I mean, that comes out uh, on the on the 20th. So a couple of days after this episode. Um, oh, yeah. What else? I think Mario Wonder. Mario Wonder is out. also on the same day. And also oh. <laughs> the killing of the flower moon by uh, Martin Scorsese also comes out on the 20th. So big oh, day man. for media. Yeah. Triple threat. Mario, Marty and Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> that's what they're saying in, in the New York Times. <laughs> I think we should end the episode. That was amazing. Okay. Mario Marty and Spider-Man. Can we make that the title or is that also a breach <laughs> of your of your employment? I already have a much better title in mind. Oh, okay. Fair, hey, fair enough. All right. Thank you for listening. We love you. Have a great rest of your day. I'm Stephen Hilger. You find me at Stephen Hilger and Stephen Hilger Art. I am Brendan Bigley. You can find me on the internet at Brendan Bigley. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. Go carve a pumpkin. Worst garbage, the online.